Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. It's good to see you here. And uh, this morning I have a Father's Day message from Matthew chapter 5. If you'll take your Bible and be turning there uh, with me. The title of today's message is A Man of His Word. Uh, But because we are in the Sermon on the Mount, we certainly understand that uh, uh, the title should not mislead us. This is a message for everyone who would be a follower of Jesus Christ to those who choose to follow the Lord Jesus. Uh, When we are reading Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, we really have to back up and we have to understand that the context for Jesus' message is that people from all lands around Israel were coming to Jesus for healing. They had heard about his power. And so they were coming and they were being healed. Along with them were uh, Israelites who were coming from various parts of the country. And uh, not only did these Israelites not like the people who were coming to Jesus from outside their border, they couldn't even get along with each other. And some of them were scribes and Pharisees that had come up from Jerusalem to kind of find out what is Jesus all about. So you have this real mixed audience here. And in this mixed audience, uh, Jesus looks around and he calls his disciples to himself. And he says, I want you to understand uh, the Son of God. And this is Matthew's purpose for writing this gospel. I want you to understand that God loves everybody. That he wants all to come to him. And so with his disciples, they sit down with him. And you see this right at the end of chapter 4. And at the beginning of chapter 5, it says that the disciples sat down with Jesus. He's been calling them to follow him, his first followers, his disciples. And as they're following him, Jesus says, I want you to understand what God really is like. No man on earth had ever properly conveyed or completely conveyed what God was like. Jesus said, I came to show you in living color what it means to live out the law. Because you see what the case was was that there were many of these religious Jews who were there who they either counted people in or counted people out in accord with where they fell with the Mosaic law. And so what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at the 22nd verse, and actually going through the end of the chapter, Jesus gives six examples. Six examples that illustrate what it means to love God and others from the heart. I want you to follow along with me this morning in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at the 33rd verse, and we're going to read through verse 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors... You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by earth because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes. And your no mean no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Lord, thank you that uh, when you 
were with your disciples, even if they'd been following you for some time, they asked the question, show us the Father, it'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to them, have I been with you this long and you don't recognize that the one who has seen the Son has seen the Father? Lord, on this day, just as I express my thanks to you for blessing me with children and grandchildren and thankful uh, so much, Lord, uh, for uh, those around me who've been such good examples of what it means to be a father. And yet, Lord, realizing how many times that I have, have failed to be the kind of example, even at times that I really wanted to be, but became my own worst enemy. Thank you that you are a heavenly father that is the perfect example for us. And thank you that, Lord, you not only call us to follow you, but you give us the power to follow you in the power of the Holy Spirit for all who believe in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the Father. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, when you read these words in Matthew, uh, certainly we have heard many apply this to uh, cursing and swearing, and certainly there's an application for that, but it goes deeper than that. It deals with the character of a person that's revealed when we open our mouths and when we speak. Now, these things that Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 5, spoken to large multitudes, spoken directly to those who are around him, those disciples that he called to be with him, are a reflection of things that Jesus taught throughout his ministry. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, we remember that Jesus says, or we find that Jesus says, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. People eventually speak what they feel. The words we speak, they don't lie. They reflect what's in our hearts. So in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is targeting our motives. And as he does so, he follows the same threefold pattern in these six illustrations that he gives us to show us what it means to love God and others from the heart. He begins the same formula. You've heard this. So he begins with what they've heard. Then he says, but here's the true intent. And then he says, this is what it looks like in real life. So Jesus deals first with the perception of the law. He says in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath. 
but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Now, what is an oath? Well, an oath is a pledge or it's a promise given in order to add emphasis or validity to words spoken or promises that we have made. And Jesus begins by acknowledging the tradition of the oath. Making an oath was something with which Jesus' disciples were all familiar. And when handled properly, making an oath was in order. In fact, uh, Scripture reveals that God is the one who created the oath. And there are many references to the oath in Scripture. And I want you to follow along a few of those with me. Now, we're not going to put them on the screen, but I've given you at least the Scripture reference, and I want to read some of those to you this morning. Genesis chapter 21, verses 23 to 24, is a conversation that's taking place between an ancient king, Abimelech, and Abraham. And Abraham is a sojourner. And Abimelech said to Abraham, Swear to me by God here and now that you will not break an agreement with me or with my children and descendants as I have been loyal to you, so you will be loyal to me and to the country where you are a resident alien. And Abraham said, I swear it. 2 Chronicles 15 verses 14 and 15 records that in the 15th year of Asa's reign, Asa the king of Judah, The people of Israel took an oath, and they took this oath to the Lord, and the Scripture says, they did so in a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, with ram's horns, and all Judah rejoiced over the earth, for they had sworn it with all their mind. They had sought the Lord with all their heart, and he was found by them, for they had sworn it with all their mind. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul employs a form of the oath when he writes to them in Galatians 1.20, I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying in what I write to you. Jesus himself used a form of, of the oath when repeatedly he makes the statement in the old King James verily verily I say unto you which means interpreted in modern English truly I say to you so taking an oath was something with which his disciples were familiar There was this tradition of taking an oath. And many of us are familiar with taking oaths, even if we've never been called upon to take one ourselves. But I have a feeling I'm looking in a room full of people where there are a number of Boy Scouts present. Any? Any Boy Scouts? No? Too ashamed to admit it? Okay. Well, uh, in the Boy Scouts, you remember... There's a Boy Scouts oath. I'm, what, 10 years old, and I've taught the Boy Scout oath. 
and the Boy Scout oath, on my honor, I will do my duty to God and my country to obey the Scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. You know, you'd, I would do it, <laughs> but I broke my finger sliding into second base one time. It's never been the same. But anyway, you would hold up your hands and you would, you would state this oath. And even if you've never taken an oath before, you're familiar with it, right? Because we've seen people who are witnesses in court and you're sworn to take an oath before you take the witness stand. You promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, God. I promise. And then uh, also, you have the, the occasion where the President of the United States is sworn into office. He puts his hands on the Bible and he recites an oath. He takes a pledge. And so the oath was something that had been in existence for thousands of years before uh, this instance where Jesus is talking with his disciples. And so it begins with him saying, you've heard it said. People have heard about the oath. And then what does Jesus do? Well, after he acknowledges the tradition of the oath, he addresses the corruption of the oath. And he does so with these words. He quotes from uh, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, in that 33rd verse, when he says, you must not break your oath. So he's going back to the book of Numbers here, and he's quoting from that. And Jesus is aware of their knowledge of the oath, but he's also aware of the corruption that's been associated with taking oaths. And so Jesus says, you're not to swear falsely. You're not to tell a known lie under an oath. Now, centuries earlier, God had warned the Israelites through Moses. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, for I am the Lord. Now this word was spoken to those who used the oath in an effort to validate their claims, knowing, in fact, even as they were taking the oath, that what they were claiming was false. And sadly, that continues today. I mean, we've observed people who have lied under oath. They appear to be genuine and sincere, and yet, what are they doing? They take the oath, and they're just being elusive or misleading. And in some instances, just being manipulative. A man's word used to be his bond. Well, you go to a bank today... And you go in there to ask for a loan, buddy, they're looking for more than a handshake. They want you to sign a piece of paper promising your next of kin, the blood of your children, everything else that you don't read and all that fine print is in there. And so nowadays, a man's word is not worth much. And I don't see this 
as such a big problem with the world, but I see it as being a big problem in the church. And Jesus affirms, thirdly in this text, the obligation to the oath. When he says, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Now even those who were corrupt in that day and time would admit that one was expected to keep his word and fulfill his obligation particularly if it was an obligation that was made to the Lord. And many oaths in Jesus' day were made in the name of the Lord. Naturally, the Lord took those oaths very seriously, and so he fully expected men to keep their promise unto the Lord. But many today ignore the seriousness of the vow. And we need to be reminded by Jesus that it is a serious thing to make a commitment or an oath to the Lord. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, When you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it because the Lord does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. So Jesus begins by acknowledging the tradition of the oath. He progresses by addressing the corruption of the oath. And then he states and affirms the obligation to the oath. So first, Jesus deals with the perception of the law. And then we hear the proclamation of the Lord. Remember, his formula is what? What you've heard. Here's what you've heard. Now, let me tell you what that means. And so as he's done previously... He offers wisdom and direction concerning that which they've heard and now practice. And he calls us to consider, first of all, the caution. Verse 34, first part of verse 34. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Now, wait a second. Didn't we just hear, didn't we just read that Jesus has acknowledged the tradition of the oath? Haven't we just seen that God is the one who initiated the oath? So what's going on here? Well, we have to understand the context. Jesus is not contradicting the law. He's not discrediting the law. He's not trying to run the law down. What Jesus is doing here is that he is saying, there are many people around you. You have heard. Keep your oaths to the Lord. But there are many people around you. I want you to look. I want you to look inside And I want you to notice all the examples of these people around you that even though they have every intention or they they make these oaths, but they have no intention whatsoever of keeping them. And some regard an oath in the name of the Lord to be a very serious matter. And so what did they do? Ooh, making an oath to the Lord in the Lord's name, that's serious. So what did they do? They started looking for other things by which they could swear their promise. Shifty move. And that's where we see the application. So there's the caution, but look at the application. Fearing to make an oath in the name of the Lord, some made oaths in the name of other things. And Jesus says, regardless of the name of the object you use, it's still an oath that God takes seriously and it's made unto God. And so he speaks, first of all, of a moral oath. 
Don't take an oath, look at verse 34, don't take an oath by heaven because what? It's God's footstool. So they've tried to be a little shifty. Okay, I don't want to take an oath in the name of the Lord, so what else can I do? So what do they do? They take an oath by heaven. Now that makes a person look awful spiritual, doesn't it? I mean, that's a way you can give off the pre, uh, appearance of uh, spirituality. And they were hoping to impress others. So they said, well, I know swearing to the Lord is a serious thing. I don't want the wrath of the Lord to come on to me. So what they do, they made a promise or an oath under the name of heaven. I think for us, these applications are a way for us to begin to look inside ourselves. Because you see, what Jesus wants to do, he's not focusing on the letter of law. He's saying, you've missed that completely. I want you to understand that God looks at the heart. And so we think of ourselves and we look around. And is it not true that there are times when we're more interested in presenting ourselves as being more spiritual than we actually are. They want to swear to the Lord. They knew that was a serious thing. So what they do? They swore by heaven. But they did so with their own motives in mind without considering that heaven is God's throne. And then he mentions a material oath in verse 35. Don't take an oath by the earth because it's God's footstool. To take an oath by the earth appears to be a reference to their material goods and gain. They presented themselves as having the means whereby they could back up the promise that they were making, collateral as uh, we understand it. And so they would make an oath, but they forgot that everything they possessed belonged to the Lord. And so Jesus says, remember the earth is his footstool? What is Jesus saying when he says that? He's saying that you need to understand that God blesses you so that you may be his blessing to others. So he mentions a moral oath and a material oath, and then he also mentions a positional oath. Verse 35, do not take an oath by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Now in ancient times, to live in, within the walls of a city was the safest place where one could live. And the wealthy lived where in the city? In the middle of the city. And the less well-to-do lived on the walls of the city and there were apartments. And those who were less, uh, had less means than that lived outside the city in the surrounding towns around Jerusalem, as for an example. And so what he's saying here is that there were people who perhaps lived in the city of Jerusalem who were recognized for their position or perhaps by their station in life and their possessions. 
And so they would swear by the great city of Jerusalem. And what does Jesus do? He reminds them. He said, you know, the only reason why Jerusalem stands is because God established Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the great city. It's the city of David, the king, but it's the city of the great king, Jesus, who will eventually reign there on his throne. Now, I think the application for us is that they've all seen people or there have been times maybe even ourselves when we feel like we deserve special treatment or we're above the law in some instance simply because of our heritage or social position. But Jesus reminds them that God is no respecter of persons. And then he mentions a personal loaf. Verse 36. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. I think to me this is the most troubling of the four rows that are mentioned here by way of application. Jesus speaks of those who... who depend solely upon themselves. I've done this. I've done that. I've gained this. I've gained that. I've done this myself. This is the self-made man. Look at what I've done. Consider all these things. Now, we all know someone who refuses to acknowledge God or anyone else in regard to their lives and possessions. They assume that, I don't need anyone else. I've done this myself. They think that they're the one who's in control. And Jesus reminds them, look, You're no less dependent upon God than anyone else. And it is for this reason that when the Israelites were approaching the promised land, that Moses, the Lord said to the Israelites through Moses, he said to them, remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. So first, Jesus deals with the perception of the law. And second, we hear the proclamation of the Lord. But then what we have in verse 37 is the principle for life. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Okay, you've heard... Keep your O's. I want to tell you what this looks like in real life. And Jesus speaks these words. I think for us what comes out of this is a lesson for all followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to summarize it this way. 
that a man of his word is characterized by three things. Honesty, integrity, and purity. Honesty. We're to be honest in our communication. Say what you mean and mean what you say. There shouldn't be any deception or dishonesty in our communication. Integrity. The person we present to others in the light and the person God knows us to be in the dark are supposed to be the same person. Not two people, but one person. That's what integrity is. It's to be whole and purity. Jesus says, you know, whoever does not live in accordance with the will of God and the ways of God is being influenced by the evil one. A pure and upright life is built upon the word of God and lived in accordance with it. If God says, do this, we should obey and do this. If God says don't do that, then what we should do is we should be unwilling to do what God tells us not to do. I don't know about you, but do you ever have one of those times where with your children, you've just laid down in the yard and looked up at the sky? Anybody here ever seen a vapor trail? You've got this big jumbo jet flying over the sky, and then there's this long white line behind it. That's a reminder for us that every one of us is leaving the vapor trail. The vapor trail tells what we've done and where we've been. Jesus points to his disciples and he says, I want you to understand something. I have come here to show you what God meant by the law. The law was always intended to reveal what's in your heart. No person here has ever followed God perfectly. Except for one. And that's Jesus. And Jesus came into the world to show us that we need more than just ourselves when we come to stand before God. We have a righteous, holy Savior who loved us, who died on the cross for us, who gave himself for us so that those who would believe in him might be forgiven their sin. But the starting point is we have to admit our need. And so as Jesus speaks these words to us, he calls us to think about our words. What we speak reveals what's in our hearts. There's one more thing that the Bible tells us, and that is this. It's wonderful. Jesus sides with those who side with him. Anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, the Scripture says, will be saved. You side with Jesus, Jesus will side with you. And the wonderful thing is, is that God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get good. And today, the best father 
is a father who bows the knee before the Heavenly Father and says yes to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be my guide. I want you to be my source, my strength. And so today, would you look to Jesus? Would you call upon Him to be your Savior, your Lord? Let's bow together in prayer, may we? Father, I thank you so much for uh, the truth of your word, that every word you uttered uh, points to our need for you. And Lord, I thank you so much that in my own life, uh, there have been many times when I have fallen short as a dad. But I thank you that it is through my understanding of how you have loved me as your child that I have come to understand what it means as a father to love my own children. And how many times that uh, as a child I failed, and yet you have been merciful and gracious to me when I've asked for forgiveness. And Father, it's been uh, just like me many times in life, not just with my children, but with others, to hold a higher standard for others than I hold for myself. I want grace and forgiveness for myself, but I don't always give it so easily to others. So, Lord, I come before you this morning just to ask for your forgiveness in that regard. And, Lord, thank you for making me aware of it. And, uh, Holy Spirit, for giving me the power to change and to, uh, Father, not just try to be like Jesus, but to have Jesus living in me. And so, Father, I ask right now that, uh, that Sid might continue to die and that Jesus might continue to rise in my life and be more and more evident. Father, I thank you for those that have come to worship with us today online and those who are present in this worship center. And Father, for those who are dads, I just uh, thank you for them. uh, Being a father, being a husband. um, Well, there's a lot required. And we know above all else that we can't do it without you. So we ask for your help and your intervention in our lives today.